Breakups are something we all go through at one point or another. Whether you are the dumper, the dumpy, or it's mutual, let's face it, it sucks. Breakups can have a huge impact on your mental health, self-esteem, and day-to-day life. In this episode, learn how to get through these difficult times and manage your mental health. The Mental Health and Wealth Show, the Mental Health and Wealth Show, the Mental Health and Wealth Show. Thank you so much for listening to the Mental Health and Wealth Show. This is host Melanie Locker. And first of all, I want to acknowledge that you are brave and amazing for being here. Getting ready to listen to a show about mental health and money is not easy, and I know you are ready for these amazing conversations. But before you listen, I want to let you know that all of my content is based on my own personal experience with mental health and money, as well as the experiences and expertise of my guests. I'm not a mental health professional or a financial professional, so content should not be considered professional, medical, or financial advice. As a trigger warning, please note that content on the show may include sensitive topics around mental health and suicide. So if you're currently in distress, please get in touch with a professional by texting HOME to 741-741. Thank you so much and enjoy the show. This is Melanie Lockhart, host of the Mental Health and Wealth Show. Today, we are chatting about something I'm sure we can all relate to at one point or another, and that is breakups. I'm interviewing Amalia Mirarrio, who is a therapist in private practice based out of Detroit, Michigan, and serving Michigan and Pennsylvania virtually. She specializes in helping women, queer, and trans individuals overcome the belief that they have to be perfect to be lovable after a breakup. Amalia's background is in clinical social work and human sexuality, and her work is process-oriented, relationally focused, and trauma-informed. Love it! So excited to have you here! Thank you. So excited to be here. Yes, you are going to help share so much knowledge for something that literally everyone has gone through at some point or another. And so I'm excited to provide tips and tricks for people that might be dealing with heartbreak and breakups. Definitely. Same. So as we know, breakups can be notoriously hard on your mental health, just a complete shift of everything. How can someone take steps to heal after a breakup? Absolutely. And I love that you're pointing out that they're so normal and everyone goes through it. But at the same time, we don't necessarily have a cultural script for how to move forward. We have a lot of scripts of maybe what not to do, and that can make good comedy and good TV, but we don't really get to know a lot about um, what to do. And I like to think of the loss of relationships and the healing process as really having two parts that there's a the actual loss of the relationship and the loss of that specific person but b there's all the other stuff that it stirs up and that part isn't really about the other person and that's the part where i think culturally we get kind of lost and you know that can be things like not feeling good enough body image fear of never finding someone. Um, And that's definitely, of course, when when therapy can come in. But even without the use of professional support, without the use of therapy, I think, A, it's really important to take care of your body and, you know, getting enough sleep, enough food, sticking to some type of consistent schedule to kind of signal to your body that this big disruption is going to be okay 
you're going to be safe, that you're, you're going to make it through because even um, just in terms of your nervous system, losing someone who you're so intimate with is such a big rupture to the kind of feedback and stimulus you're, you're used to having. And then B, just getting way more social support than you think you need. Planning a lot more time with people who make you feel good. I love that and think that is so important. I remember after my uh, breakup after nine years with my partner, I was just reliant on my friends all of the time. I felt bad in a way, but they just delivered in such a strong way and were just there for me. And actually, it was kind of beautiful because after that, I really realized how important friendships are. I mean, I knew that before, but you know, when you're going through something like that, you're like, my friends will really be here. You know, whether I get married or divorced or there's a breakup, like they're going to be here. And uh, obviously we want our relationships to quote last forever, but that's not the case all the time. And I think sometimes when we're in relationships, we can put our friendships to the wayside. And, you know, when you're dealing with such a disruption, having those friends there will be everything. Like my friends were, you know, Skyping me and like, going on video chat, checking in with me every single day. And I love that you brought up the fact that there's so much more that can come up that doesn't relate to the other person. I remember my breakup was so painful because obviously after nine years, it was a huge shift, but it brought out all of these issues that I didn't even know I had. Like I realized in retrospect, we had a very codependent relationship which made kind of disentangling ourselves very, very difficult. And I also realized I had love anxious attachment style, which I didn't even know what that was before. And so I was learning about all of these things that suddenly made sense and finding yourself among the rubble and destruction after a breakup can be so horrifying because you're like, I feel like I've lost everything. But I remember in those early days feeling like, the good news is I can rebuild any way that I want. And I kept thinking like one day it's going to be better. I'm going to be Melanie 2.0 and I'm going to find out what I like to do and what I like and have that freedom. And obviously it took a very long time. I was in counseling. We were previously in couples counseling and then I was in individual counseling. And, you know, that really, really helped me to be able to move forward and stand on my feet again. Yeah, that's so beautiful. I'm so happy to hear that you had the support you needed because we're all searching for, or uh, maybe even not searching for, but need to feel a sense of belonging. We need for other people to recognize that we're one of them, right? That we're one of the pack that we are connected and we're not isolated. And sometimes that can be misconstrued as being codependent. And I'm, of course, not speaking to the specifics of your relationship. You know that better than I, of course, could. Um, yeah. But, but sometimes there's some shame that comes in when someone's going through a breakup because they think I should be so independent. I shouldn't need anyone. And it can really keep people from being honest with themselves or the, their support system about how hard it really is. And it's normal for it to be hard and you're wired for it to be hard for that disruption to be painful. Definitely. And I really appreciate you also kind of just getting back to basics of 
making sure that you eat, make sure that you sleep. Like I remember sleeping was so difficult because suddenly you have this empty space in bed that has been occupied forever. And I (laughs) lost 20 pounds in like two months because I could barely eat. And so I think a tip for that is definitely have smoothies on hand, definitely have easy meals because it's so hard to even think about that. But if you prepare in advance and just have those kind of easy meals, have some fruit on hand that you can just go to, even if you don't feel like eating, obviously you have to kind of take care of yourself so that your immune system doesn't completely break down and then you're dealing with a breakup and a cold or something like that. Definitely. If you think about, you know, when someone dies, we do have a cultural practice of bringing meals, right? Of of knowing that that would be hard. And you deserve all that same support, even if it's not a job. Totally. Love that. So, you know, at the end of a relationship, it's tough to leave behind all of that shared history. In many ways, everything that you used to do, all of the places you used to go are very triggering. How can someone deal with that when it feels like everywhere you go, there are emotional landmines? Oh my goodness, that's so hard, right? And you might share friends, your families might be connected. I mean, there's a range, maybe not, but but maybe. I think the biggest question is just, can you separate the value of that place from the memories? So is it worth getting over the memories? Is it worth processing? Is it worth pushing through? Does this place have that much value? And you might not know that right away. If you need to just use some avoidance in the beginning, that's okay. Definitely wouldn't want someone to feel pressure to go all the same places right away. Um, Right now, that actually might be one advantage of people mostly being at home. (laughs) For sure. To avoid. Like, um, well, I'm not going to be seeing all those places that we used to go to on dates. So yeah, that's one good thing about quarantine. It's always good to look at the bright side of <laughs> what we're going through. Uh, I think it's important to also recognize like all of these places can be triggering and it's really important to watch yourself and a tendency to run away. And I'm just sharing my personal experience. Like, Shortly after the breakup, I was like, I'm going to move. I'm going to sell everything. I'm going to travel. Like everything in LA is triggering to me. Like I can't go anywhere without thinking about him. Like everything triggers me. And my therapist is like, you're running away. And I was like, no, I'm not. And then she's like, you just said everything triggers you. And that's why you're leaving. And then I was like, hmm, okay. Yeah, (laughs) I guess I am uh, running away. And so I decided to stay and kind of do the hard work because I realized that those things would follow me anywhere, even though it would be a different location, it wouldn't be as triggering. Like I would really just be covering up the the trauma and the grief. And so it actually was a good thing for me to stay. You know, several years later, I decided to travel more extensively and do it from a healthy place rather than I'm running away. Yeah, I was going to say exactly that. Of, I'm not sure if you've heard that saying, like, wherever you go, there you will be. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, it's so easy to fantasize that if you can get away and start over that, you know, nothing will be triggering. But your mind will find ways of thinking about that person until it's ready to not think about that person. 
For sure, for sure. So, you know, as we talked about, there's so much shared history and it's really easy to get into this kind of loop where you're reminiscing about things again and again, you're rereading texts, you're kind of obsessing. Those parts are obviously very difficult to deal with, but also there's all of the dreams and the fantasies that you had for the future. I remember after my breakup, after nine years, that was the toughest part for me, probably because I kind of knew the relationship was coming to an end, you know, for about two years, it was kind of slowly on the decline. But then thinking that I'm not going to grow old with this person, I'm not going to go to concerts with this person anymore. We're not going to do that 10 year anniversary trip, like I thought. And that was so incredibly difficult. How can someone learn to let go of those dreams and fantasies of the future in a healthy way? I love this question so much because I so appreciate your honesty that, of course, your mind was, you know, naturally thinking about the future and had hopes and dreams and fantasies. And what I love about that is that, uh, you know, after nine years, of course, of course, you're thinking long term, like growing old together. But even if you've only been with someone for a shorter amount of time, or maybe you weren't even officially in a relationship, you were like hooking up or talking or like whatever it was, and then it abruptly ends. The loss of those dreams can be absolutely one of the most painful parts. And it's there's something that's so ambiguous and so vague and so abstract about that. And so I would really suggest that someone first make it more concrete and name, you know, what is this ambiguous grief about? naming, you know, what are some of the things that I was looking forward to? And then going a little bit deeper of why, like, why was it meaningful to think about, you know, for example, like like a 10 year anniversary trip, what did that symbolize? What did it, what importance did it have for you? And that, you know, kind of leaning into that pain is probably not going to sound very appealing. Um, But you need to feel it and name it then be able to process it, to make meaning of it, to be able to create a new story around it and to heal. I love that you said lean into the pain and it's not something we want to do. And, you know, when we're dealing with such immense grief and heartache, all you feel is like, how can I be done with this? How can I feel better? Like, when is this going to be over? And it's one of those things, like, no one wants to hear this answer, but the only way is through. Like you have to experience that pain and however long it takes, some people may be able to recover faster. Some people, it can take a very long time. And I think healing has its own timeline. And that's what really sucks is that grief and healing, it has its own time. I mean, you can do things to try to speed up the process and get help, but it's really, you know, has its timing and you have to kind of just feel feel that and go through it. And it's it's so hard, but being able to recognize those emotions, acknowledge that there there is pain and disappointment. And I think once you're able to name those things that you were disappointed about, you're able to kind of let them go easier because it's not just this, as you called, ambiguous grief that's kind of gnawing at you. Definitely. And you then have the power to create a different narrative around it that you know, what did that 
symbolize? What did you think that it meant? And can you still hold on to that value, but in a different way? Right? Can you celebrate something else about yourself or about your life? But I, I so, so love that you pointed out um, you can't rush to that. And that process will happen as it happens. Yeah, you have to really move through it. And, you know, this is a little bit intellectual and probably hard to to really sit with when you're first dealing with that grief. But if you kind of step out of it, like these are stories that we tell ourselves. You know, we had a story of what the relationship would look like. We had a story that we created in our head and the disappointment and the grief is really coming because that story didn't happen the way that you had written it in your head. But if we can go back and say, well, I'm going to rewrite this story. And you know what? Those nine years were not a waste. I learned so much about myself in nine years. I was able to have some very happy memories with this person. I was able to um, learn and grow and have adventures. And even though it was so incredibly painful at the end, as I kind of mentioned earlier, sitting in that rubble of destruction, I was looking for the hope and thinking, I can rebuild any way I want now. And I want to do it better this time because what I did before didn't work. (laughs) Um, And yeah, I just wanted to acknowledge that, that we have the power to try to shift the story. Definitely. That's so powerful. Yes. And you might need some outside support in um, shifting that story. And it can be a therapist. It can be a coach. It can be a spiritual leader. It can be just your friends. You know, it's really individual what support you need. There isn't a one-size-fits-all approach to that. But sometimes you might not see those that you're just telling yourself stories because you're seeing it as this is the fact. This is this is the truth. And that's such a common myth that you wasted your time in a relationship. And a lot of people feel that way it's right at the end. And it can feel like very much a fact and you're not ready to explore other ways of viewing it yet. Yes. And that is really what we call the sunken cost fallacy is where you don't really want to move on to something new because you feel like you've invested so much time already. And if you stop, then you're going to lose that. I know actually that was what was preventing me from breaking up, you know, from year seven to nine. I mean, it was a very slow decline, but it probably could have happened earlier, to be honest. And the reason it didn't is because I was like, I put in all these years. If I put in all these years and I just stop now, then I'm at back to zero. And it feels like you're just losing that whole investment. And that's really not the way to look at it because, I mean, you still have all those memories and good times. And even though the situation has changed now, like no one can take away those memories. No one can take away those experiences. And if it is the right thing to move on, then that's the best that you can do to start over. And it's not that you've lost that whole investment and then you're starting at zero. You have all this knowledge and information that you did not have before that hopefully can help you in your next relationship. Definitely. So after a breakup, you know, your whole life has shifted. You can't call them all the time. There's no more seeing each other. You have to build new routines without that person. What are some ways that people can take advantage of this freedom and shift rather than dwell on the loss? 
Yeah, it's really a great opportunity to relearn your internal cues around things like sleeping, eating, um, how you structure your week, how you like to structure your weekends, how you, um, you know, what time you wake up, what kinds of foods you keep your fridge stocked with, how often you go out to eat. I mean, all of the daily like ins and outs of, of caring for yourself. It's a good opportunity to ask yourself, you know, like, well, what is, what is my body telling me? What do I, what do I think I need? You know, I think about with this question, I think about Runaway Bride with Julia Roberts, 90s movie. And I think about the question of how she likes her eggs cooked. And for those of you who haven't seen the movie, long story short, she realizes that she's been in so many relationships. She never realized for herself what kinds of eggs she likes because she would always just order what her significant other was ordering. And I think that's just such a like good metaphor of how you can approach every aspect of your life. Yes, I think it's such an important time to really dig deep and realize that you can figure out so much about yourself. And, you know, even though it may or may not be comforting at that time, like to realize that you are your longest relationship, you know, when you're born and when you die and everything in between, you're there. You're you're the one that's going to be consistently there. So having a healthy relationship with yourself is so important. I remember after my breakup, I was like, I don't even know what to do with myself. Like, because we were so entangled in this way, I was like, what do I like to do? What, what kind of things am I interested in? And to me, it sounded so pathetic because I did think of myself as this feminist, independent woman. And then I realized in some ways, like I hadn't fully cultivated this independence and self-love for myself. And after a series of destructive rebounds, I had what I call a man ban. And I was like, I'm going to date myself. And I was like, what, what would I like to do if I, if, I w- if I were dating? And I started this thing called the Year of Museums, where every single week I would go to a different museum. I made it about six months and uh, then stopped. But every week for six months, I would go to a different museum and just see beauty and art and it was wonderful. And then I got into boxing, which was so completely out of my comfort zone. I was like, I am not athletic at all. (laughs) But being able to kind of do something out of my comfort zone and challenge myself and also boxing helped me release a lot of pent up anger and resentment that I didn't know I had in a healthy way. I think anger and resentment are two important emotions that we're not given tools to really process. And so for me, boxing was an incredible outlet to just physically get that out of my body. And so I grew so much when I was like, I'm going to date myself. And I had a lot of fun. And now I know whatever happens with the relationship that I still have something to go back to. I know what I like to do in my free time, how I like to um, engage with the world. Yeah, that's so creative. I love that of dating yourself and treating yourself like how you would want someone else to treat you. I love that. And, you know, if, if anyone is listening to this and is feeling pressure to go out and do all of the things, um, I also want to invite you to, to be gentle with yourself and take it slowly. 
right? Just like people yes. skating, right? I think I think that metaphor still holds. Of like, it's not about putting pressure on yourself to, you know, go out and and treat this like a self improvement project of becoming someone different or better, but more about recognizing you're already good enough. You're already a whole person. It's just about caring for that person. Yes, I love that you mentioned that because I think it's so easy to be like, I need to be the best version of myself and do this and this and this. And it's like, now's not the time. You're healing, you're growing. Like, think of this as an experiment and a learning journey. Learning journey. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> learning journey. I love it. Um, so, this is kind of a, a difficult question and, you know, something that I'm sure we've all dealt with. So, if you are the one being dumped and it is not, mutual. It's easy to feel worthless and go into a tailspin, especially if you're blindsided, which I'm sure some of us have been. <laughs> mm -hmm. How can someone boost their self-esteem after getting dumped? Yeah, this is actually, these are the people who I love working with the most because it's so raw. And, you know, when we talk about those two categories of the, the hard feelings that come up with a breakup, there's the loss of the person and then all the other stuff. I think this really falls into that second category of all the other stuff of they suddenly feel like there's so much to unpack and to heal from in terms of self-worth. And that probably predates this person and probably is much, much deeper and can make you feel like you were losing your mind because you might even know cognitively that it's not really about this other person, but it's like this thing you just can't get to the bottom of. Then, then what is it? And I love that earlier you brought up attachment style. I think that's so, so important in understanding why this specific attachment wound is hitting you the way it's hitting you. I mean, first of all, of course, being, you know, on the receiving end of a breakup when it's not your choice, like that's, that's inherently painful for anyone of any attachment style. But I think it will take on a specific flavor depending on how your attachment style was showing up in that relationship. And, you know, I first just want to validate and normalize it's not just you, if that's something that you're experiencing. And it's something that maybe people around you are expecting you to move on from or get over more quickly than you are. Eventually, I absolutely believe you can get to a place of seeing the end of the relationship as a misalignment of values, as something that wasn't compatible. And it's not about one person not being good enough for the other person. It's not about this perfect match, this perfect person deciding that you're not good enough. I think that's the, the fear is that that can actually feel like a fact, like, well, I just wasn't, you know, good looking enough or wealthy enough or successful enough or funny enough or smart enough. I mean, you fill in the blank, your, your mind can probably come up with a lot of creative ways of telling you that you weren't enough. And so surrounding yourself with as many people who can validate for you that you are enough as you are as possible while also doing some of that deeper work around attachment and attachment wounds. Yes. I think attachment can really affect how you 
operate in a relationship, but then also kind of how you handle the end of a relationship. I felt like when I learned about anxious attachment, I was like, this explains why I've behaved the way I've behaved in all of my relationships and why I feel like it's the end of the world after a breakup. <laughs> like, you know, it really does kind of stir up all of those insecurities of like, I always get abandoned or I'm not good enough or I push them away or if only I were prettier or, you know, if only I were skinnier or whatever, we love to just kind of torture ourselves in a way with these fears that we have that kind of come to the surface. And as you mentioned, you can really kind of feel like you're losing your mind and it's hard to focus. It's hard to sleep. It just feels all consuming and I think we do need to be on that self-love journey and realize that it is a misalignment. And then if you want to think about it more objectively, and like I said, this will be difficult to do when you're in the midst of it, but why would you want to be with someone that doesn't want to be with you? You know, yeah. it's like, oh, you don't want to be with me? Okay. Like, why would I want to be with you? You know, that's more simplistic, but like eventually, hopefully you can get to that place of like, yeah, like if you don't want me, then I don't want you either. So I'm going to heal and move on. And, you know, talking about self-love, I, I just want to go back to kind of me getting into boxing. Boxing was such a great way to cultivate self-love for myself because it got me completely out of my comfort zone. It's something I never thought I would do ever. And to be able to do that and see that I did do it. I built confidence slowly but surely. And I think I've talked about this before, but, or at least I've written about it. You know, there's a lot of talk about how can you be more confident, fake it till you make it, all that kind of stuff. And that never particularly worked for me. But what has worked for me in building confidence is trying things outside of my comfort zone, putting my toes in the water and realizing, oh, I did it. And the world didn't end. And then I feel better. And then I have that boost of confidence that I did something that scared me. I did something out of my comfort zone and I'm still here and I'm okay. And that was a wonderful way for me to kind of build that confidence in myself to realize, yeah, I'm awesome and I can do these things and, you know, be able to build up that self-esteem myself. I love that. It's such a concrete example. And, you know, I think as therapists, we can definitely get a little bit abstract sometimes of like we just have to dig deeper and keep talking <laughs> I love that you're offering like okay yeah okay do that but also take a class you know explore your creativity explore physical outlets like those concrete things are, are so important too yeah you know as I mentioned when you're in the rubble and you just have no foundation at all but you can see I can rebuild in any way that I want. That was part of my motivation. I was like, what would new Melanie do? I was like, well, Melanie, new Melanie would probably take care of herself a little better. <laughs> and so I was like, let's just try out this thing that it seems like I would never do in a million years, but it also seems kind of fun because I want to punch some stuff right now. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it was a, a really wonderful learning experience. So yeah, love it. Um, I also want to talk about uh, money. So, you know, money is a huge source of conflict in relationships. It's been cited in many studies that that is a, a source of a lot of conflict. So what types of money issues have you seen lead to a breakup? Sure, absolutely. Money is so important. I think it sometimes can be there's truly just a core misalignment of values around 
money, spending, things that just can't be negotiated. I think that happens. I don't think that's what happens most of the time. I think most of the time it's more about when unresolved fears and stories around money are playing out in the dynamic and it might not even be conscious, right? Um, I think we can attach money to things like security, feeling safe, having a sense of stability. We can attach money to things like self-worth, um, having enough wealth, um, things like image. We can attach it to even the emotional experience of just having fun. Is that something you value? And a lot of times I think these conflicts and relationships around money, either you're, they show up as something else and they're really about money or they're, you're, you're fighting about money, but it's really about something else. And very rarely is there clear cohesion on, okay, this is about the past, my past traumas or experiences or money stories. And this is how, you know, we're, we're communicating about it. Yeah. I've, I've written before that I feel like money conflict is often really about something else. And typically it's about respect. It's about power. It's about control. It's about values. You know, there can be a misalignment of values or someone could be making more and feel like they can control the other person or have power over that person or, you know, just being disrespectful. Maybe they're not paying their bills. Maybe they're taking out loans in the person's name. I mean, there are so many different things that can happen with money, but they're really about a larger issue. Definitely. I think that that's true in at an individual level. And then when you put two people together with their own stuff, bringing that to the table, a lot of times that can be a recipe for a lot of conflict. Definitely. So this is probably one of the most common questions that people ask Google. So I wanted to bring it here on the podcast. How long should someone wait to start dating again after a breakup? I so wish I could give you a concrete timeline. Maybe Google can. I don't know if I would trust it, but um, maybe they can. But, you know, I, I don't think it's about an amount of time. But I do think it's really about when someone is feeling clear enough about their self-worth that they are ready to be courageous enough to weather the ups and downs of dating. And that doesn't mean they have to feel 100% perfect about themselves, but just good enough to have the courage to, to withstand those highs and lows. I love that. And I think, you know, also it's important that you have kind of resolved some of those, not, not obsession, but kind of those thoughts that happen a lot after a breakup, you know, with that other person. Cause I feel like sometimes people who date quote too soon, like they're the ones that are always talking about their ex on a first date or like it's still, you know, stinging for them and they keep talking about it. I knew, I knew that I had to take a man ban after my <laughs> relationship and subsequent destructive rebounds because I was like, I still have a wound. It still stings. And I still keep talking about it way more than I should with other people. And like, they they don't need to hear that. And so like, I think if you realize like you still have that sting, if you realize that your ex keeps coming up in dating in situations that maybe it's too soon or it's like too much, then you're probably 
not healed yet. Yeah. And I I think that's a really good like test of can you make it through a date or a text convo or whatever without wanting to bring up your ex in everything, without wanting to say, well, you know, they did this and so X, Y, Z. Yeah. And I think it's important to realize that people can use dating as a band-aid you know, as I mentioned, I had some destructive rebounds after my nine-year breakup. And for me, I realized, you know, in retrospect, I was just covering it up with these people. And then when all of that ended, I had two wounds to deal with. And it was actually much more painful after the rebound than the initial breakup because I had never addressed the, the first pain. And so I kept trying to bury the pain through other guys And then, you know, that ended in a horrific way. And it's like I was left with these two wounds to deal with. And it was much, much worse. And I realized in retrospect, like, I was trying to bury my pain in other people. But then eventually, you know, it catches up with you and you have to to deal with that. And so I think it's important to be mindful of that because people can try to bury their pain in other people, in drugs, in sex, in booze, in food in so many things. And so it's important to recognize that as well. Yeah, that's a really important cautionary tale of like, you might be your mind might be working extra hard to try to avoid the pain. But like you said earlier, the only way out is through. Uh, Yes. Well, I hope everyone listening has some tips and tricks and some insight into dealing with heartache and breakups. I know it is so hard. If you are dealing with that right now, I know it can be one of the hardest times in life. But like I said, I think it's important to see how you can rebuild. Do you have any other uh, comments or, or things you'd like to share with our audience? Yeah, thanks so much. Thank you for sharing, for bringing that personal perspective into, I really, I think that added so much. I'm sure so many people can relate. Um, I did want to mention, we touched on attachment and there are a couple of books. If you're wondering about your own attachment style, these aren't my books. I'm not promoting my own books, but um, there's a book called Attached by Amir Levine and Rachel Heller that offers like a really concrete quiz of kind of getting a basic understanding of your attachment style. That changed my um, life. And there's another one. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. I recommend it all the time. That was the book that changed my life. I was like attached, changed my life. I literally have sent it to like three girlfriends and it's changed their life too. <laughs> wow, that's so powerful. If you want something a little denser, The Power of Attachment by Diane Poole Heller is a great one, but it's not as like user friendly. It's a little bit more dense, but full of great information. Love it. Yes, yes, yes. I definitely recommend Attached and I'm so interested in checking out the other one. I think, you know, reading Attached just completely made me understand, like I said, my behavior and my needs and what I need in the future. And it can be so powerful just to know that and it can help you with dating in the future too, like what you can and and cannot accept and how kind of opposites attract anxious and avoidant. I know we had an episode think a couple of months ago about attachment styles, if you want to listen to that episode with Ginger Dean. So thank you so much for sharing all of your insight. Where can people find you? Yeah, absolutely. So on Instagram, it's um, Breakup Therapist Detroit. And my website is AmityDetroitCounseling.com. 
Perfect. Thank you so much for being on the show. I appreciate you sharing your time and expertise. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to the Mental Health and Wealth Show. Want more content and support? Sign up for the Mental Hump newsletter and get our free mental health and money inventory worksheet. You can sign up at mentalhealthandwealth.com and also check out our other blog posts and podcast episodes. Also, we host a mental health and wealth hangout every other Thursday over Zoom at 5 p.m. Pacific to chat about all things money and mental health. The best part, it is free. If you'd like to support the podcast, it would mean so much to me if you left a review. And you can also support me at ko-fi.com forward slash Melanie Lockhart. And lastly, I want to remind you to do something for yourself to take care of your mental health and wealth.